0: You kids, you kids should save your money. That is the response I heard from my dear old dad for decades whenever we would buy him a gift. And it didn't matter if it was a Christmas gift or a birthday gift or a Father's Day gift. The response would always be the same. You kids should save your money. And it is kind of funny because now I'm starting to say the same thing to my kids. You should save your money. You don't need to get me anything. Now, I don't think that statement is meant to say that we don't appreciate presents, as in, don't buy me anything because I'm not going to like it anyway. No, I think actually the you should save your money statement is more of a humble reply. Maybe it would be better to say, just having you with me is more than enough. I'm already blessed. I don't need a gift. Now, you know what? That being said, I have to confess. I love presents. Don't you gr- presents are fun, right? Presents can be exciting. Presents can be extravagant. Presents can make us feel loved. And yet, I think some of us struggle with the feeling that we think, you know what? I don't deserve a present. I'd rather give somebody a gift than receive one myself and have a bunch of people watching me open it. And that leads into something that plays into to something else, is what if I don't react properly? What if disappointment in the gift that I'm given shows on my face? Then what? How do I recover from that? Speaking from recovering... I don't think I need to load iTunes right now. Well, if that happens to you, though, if you, if you get a gift and, and you're worried that your expression is going to show in, in disappointment on your face, face, all I can say is, smile and graciously accept any gift given to you. And of course, there are some people there are some people who gladly receive any presents. I mean, you could give them a rock. And they'd be thrilled with that rock. That rock would be the best rock that they'd ever been been given. And that rock would be special because it was given to them by you. They know that you gave that gift out of love. Well, since it's Christmas Eve... And I know there will be some present giving and receiving of gifts in the next 24 hours. I thought I'd take some time tonight to help you be prepared. And I've got three simple steps to improve the giving and the receiving of presents. And the first thing is to realize that giving is good. Christmas is the season of giving. We love to give presents. And that's a good thing. We should give gifts. And gift-giving does go both ways. If we like to give gifts, we should also be willing to graciously receive gifts. See, that's the second thing. Receiving gifts requires the proper attitude. To make the whole gift-giving thing better, we need to believe that gifts are an expression of love. And if we believe that those gifts are an expression of love, we should receive every gift that's given to us with joy. And so what that means is that if we fuss about not wanting presents, we're not really receiving that gift in joy. And my advice then is just shut up, receive the gift, and be thankful. And then the third point, in case you forgot, giving is good. Giving provides blessings. When you or I receive a gift with great joy, we are actually giving back to the gift giver. We are blessing them. And you can see the joy in their eyes. And I can tell you those three steps, they're actually biblical. They're patterned after what God did for us on that first Christmas. They demonstrate how you and I are to respond to God's gracious gifts. And the basis for those three steps actually comes from two short passages that talk about giving and receiving gifts. And the first of those passages is John 1, verses 12 and 13. And in the verses just prior to this passage, John has told us that the the true light, Jesus, was coming into the world. He said Jesus came to his own people, but his own people didn't receive him. And then John wrote this, he said, But to all who did receive him, he, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And then our second passage is the most famous passage in the Bible, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, Should not perish, but have eternal life. If you notice in those two passages, there were a few verbs, action words, I actually had in yellow so you'd see them, but they stand out. And the three gift steps are actually based on those verbs, those words, and they are giving and believing and receiving. And so let's start with giving. God loves us so much, he loves you so much, he loves me so much that he gave us Jesus. And Jesus gave so much that he left the throne room of heaven to be born in a manger. Think about it. Jesus could have come into a royal family and lived in a palace. And at least if he had done that, he would have had all the benefits and the conveniences of the first century. Or better yet, Jesus could have come in the 21st century with the exception of this pandemic year, being born in the 21st century, would have been a great entry into our world. Mary, Mary could have had ultrasounds. She could have taken prenatal vitamins. She could have had many doctor visits. Joseph, he could have gotten an Uber or a Lyft for the journey to Bethlehem. Forget that donkey. Joseph also could have made hotel reservations from his smartphone, and maybe they would have had a little better place to stay. And think about this. God God could have texted the shepherds, and he could have saved the angels a lot of time and energy. The magi, they could have Googled where the house where the Christ child was. GPS would have guided them. There would have been no need for a star. But that wasn't God's plan, was it? Jesus was born into poverty in the first century. Jesus lived in the time before electricity or indoor plumbing. There were no vaccines to protect people from diseases. And then, of course, we know Jesus died a horrible death. Jesus took on the the curse of our sin to save us. And the big question is, why did God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son give such a great gift, such a great sacrifice? I think the answer is obvious. You know it. It's love. God's love for you, God's love for me, is beyond our comprehension. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians 3, verses 17 through 19. He wrote, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the Lord's holy people, To grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God's love is immeasurable. And God isn't going to stop loving you. God loves you when you let him down, when you disappoint him. God loves you when you are unlovable. God loves you through your greatest joys and he loves you through your deepest moments of despair. And the result of such love is that God gives. He gave his son. Jesus gave forgiveness. Jesus gave his life. God gave us eternal life through Jesus. It was the perfect gift. And I think you and I know the the joy that comes with giving that perfect gift to another person. We're often more excited about the gift that we're giving than the person is who's opening it. We can't wait to see them open it. And so just try to imagine God's joy with the birth of Jesus. And the truth is, we don't really have to imagine it, because in Luke 2, which Sarah read earlier, we get a glimpse of God's joy. God put on the greatest light show and sound show ever witnessed. Listen again to some of the words that are recorded by Luke. He said, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then Luke continued, he said, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When we hear those words, we should jump to our feet, scream for joy, clap. Of course, we're asking you to stay seated today so you don't have to jump. But you know, what's sad is there are some people who just don't get it. For some people, Christmas is just a man-made secular holiday. And the people who don't get it remind us that we have to respond to God's gift. This is something that if you're here on a Sunday morning, we talk about a lot because it's true. God always acts first. But then we are called to respond. And our response to the greatest gift ever given is to believe and receive. John 1.12 speaks of those who received him and believed in Jesus' name. John 3.16 talks about believing in him. We believe in Jesus. Belief is so important. Before we can be made right with God, we have to believe that there is a God. We trust we believe even though we can't physically see God. One of my favorite Christmas movies is the, the Santa Claus. It's a magical movie. I watch it every year. It makes me feel like a little kid again. I love it. Well, if you're familiar with the movie, early in the movie, after Scott Calvin has delivered all the presents as a very reluctant new Santa Claus... He's back up at the North Pole. And he's overwhelmed. This has been all too much for him. He was just a regular guy, and now he's called to be Santa Claus. And little elf Judy says to him, she says, You look troubled. Scott looks out the window, and he replies saying something like, I see a polar bear down there directing traffic. I see it, but I don't believe it. And then Judy, in her elf wisdom said well that's why many grown ups stop believing in santa and then she added some really wise words she said seeing isn't believing believing is seeing judy's words sound similar to what the writer of hebrews wrote about faith he said now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen We have faith. We believe in what we can't see. We can't see God, can we? But we do see evidence of him. The Apostle Paul told us that the evidence of God is clear. It's in the things he created. It's in you and in me. It's in newborn babies. It's in toddlers. It's in birds and butterflies and streams and majestic mountains and cold sunny mornings and star-filled nights. The the list is endless. If you want to see something of God, just open your eyes. But the fact of the matter is is that believing there is a God isn't enough. James 2.19 states, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. When Jesus walked this earth, he cast out demons, and the demons many times knew exactly who he was. And yet they were still condemned. They believed. But it wasn't a saving belief. Commentator Richard Phillips put it this way. He said, people say, I believe in Jesus. Meaning that they accept that he existed or even appreciate him in some sense. But that's not receiving Jesus And it does not constitute saving faith. Their belief lacks receiving. You see, to receive Christ, we first have to believe Jesus is who he said he is. The Son of God, one with the Father. The disciple Peter, if you remember, he believed. There was one time Jesus was with Peter and the other disciples. And Jesus asked them, he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter had one of his great bold moments and he confessed. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. To receive Christ is to confess who he is. But it's also to invite him into our heart. We proclaim him our Lord and Savior. We let Jesus be the Lord of our life. And that's one of those things that some people just can't accept. But if Jesus is God, and I assure you he is, And if Jesus died to save us from the punishment our sins deserve, and he certainly did that, and if he rose from the dead, and the fact is he did, and 500 witnesses saw the resurrected Christ, if Jesus did all that stuff, which he did do, then doesn't it make sense to declare him the Lord of your life? It's logical, it's a no brainer. The fact is, Jesus is Lord, whether you or I proclaim him as Lord or not. And so we believe in Jesus, and we receive him into our heart. Got a question for you. What is the worst Christmas present you ever received? What's that worst present you ever received? You don't have to shout it out, but just think about that. And don't tell the person that gave it to you. <laughs> well, I asked that question to a couple of coworkers here at church, and and one said a porcelain doll she received when she was ten years old, and she said it was a bad gift because she wasn't allowed to play with it. It was breakable. She added, "What kid wants a doll that you can't play with?" Another coworker said, "Orange pajamas. They were ugly," he said, "but I still wore them." I'm thinking if they glowed in the dark, they might have kept them up. I would have said the the worst Christmas gift that I ever thought I received was the sled that was given to me when I was 16 years old. My grandparents gave me the sled. And I know they were very excited about it, but I wasn't. I had started to drive. You see, I was an adult. (laughs) At least I thought I was an adult. I believed that a sled was a silly gift for a little kid. But what I didn't realize is that sled was an awesome gift. It was the gift that kept on giving. Over the next four to six years, that sled created many wonderful memories. And a bunch of them took place on Art Hill in Forest Park. There were times of great joy riding double-decker and triple-decker, two or three people on the sled at one time, and we never made it to the bottom of the hill. Somebody would fall off, but we laughed so hard. That sled was a great gift. It was a gift that gave joy. And so tonight or tomorrow, when maybe you open that present and you look at it and you go, I'm never going to wear that. You're thinking that. You're not saying it, Or, I'm never going to use that. Remember that it might be a greater gift than you think at that moment. Our two scripture passages speak to the greatest gifts that result when we believe and receive Jesus. John 1.12 states, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 3.16 adds, That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Those are the best gifts ever. Adoption into God's family and eternal life. You know, I think we would all agree that this Christmas season has been t- It's been like any other Christmas season we can remember. The coronavirus has killed. It's made other people very sick. The virus has caused isolation for millions more people. People in retirement centers can't physically spend time with their loved ones. We can't visit our friends and family who are in the hospital. We're told not to gather in large groups. We've been discouraged discouraged from traveling to see relatives. Our church service attendance is limited. There's been a lot of pain in 2020, and I think it's also made 2020 a year of isolation. And isolation causes loneliness, and loneliness robs us of our joy. And we need joy. And joy is actually a blessing of the three steps of God's gift giving. You see, first, God gave. He gave his son. And then second, we believe and receive. And then third, we receive the blessings of God's gift. God's gifts bring us joy. On Christmas, God gave the best gift ever. Our joy was born in a manger. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And through the gift of Jesus Christ, you and I are God's kids, adopted into His family, loved and protected. We're never alone. We've been given life today. We have a great future inheritance. It's called heaven. And that is pure joy. And so tonight... Ponder what God has given us. Ponder what God has given you. Believe in Jesus. Receive Jesus into your heart. And experience God's gift of joy this Christmas.